Okay. Okay, members, we'll make a start then. Everybody's very welcome to this afternoon's meeting. Um, just to advise all members that um, everything is being recorded and broadcast throughout Parliament buildings and online. Uh, just to advise members any that they've got mobile devices, please to try and um, keep them away from the microphones as they may um, interact. And that we have members that are attending in the room and also we have... At this stage, we have Martina and we have George that are attending remotely. Um, we have received apologies from Doug Beatty, and the only other outstanding member is Christopher, who I was speaking to earlier and I think is attending, so uh, he might arrive in a little minute. Uh, item two is draft minutes. There are draft minutes of the meeting held on the 21st of October, and they're on pages five and ten of the meeting pack. Are members content that they're a true reflection? Yeah, and then there's also a set there from the 4th of November as well. Uh, members content with them? Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's them signed up. Um, there's no matters arising, and that allows us then to move straight into the Brexit oral evidence session. And first up, we have Armagh City, uh, Bambridge and Craigavon Borough Council. Members, on page 17 to page 137 of the meeting pack, uh, in the general papers are information pertaining to the meetings and the information today. Um, the briefing paper for Armagh City, Bambridge and Craig Borough Council is at page 138 of the meeting pack. Um, we have re representing the council today, Councillor Thomas Larkin, who is Chair of the Governance, Resources and Strategy Committee, and Roger Wilson, who is the Chief Executive Officer. Um, are both of you present? There we go. We can see you. You are very welcome. Good to see you. Um, just to advise you that the session is being recorded by Hansard and the transcript will be published on the committee webpage as well. Um, what we've generally been doing is getting just a, a short presentation from yourselves on your priorities in terms of the uh, Brexit process and then we'll get a couple of questions from members afterwards for clarity if that's okay. We'll hand over to yourselves. They still can't hear us and they're talking. If we can just double check, we appear that you are muted there, whether it's at your end or our ah, we can hear you now. That's you. Sorry, yeah. Chair, is that, is that us now? That's you, that's perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Chair, for the opportunity uh, to address this committee on the impact EU exit will have on local government as we prepare to position ourselves to deal with what will, will what that will mean. As we navigate towards a post-EU future. Councils are keen to take advantage of our unique position to support our businesses and communities. As might be expected by such a generational change in social policy and regulation, there are both challenges and opportunities ahead. We know that you've already heard from a number of councils on the challenges being faced by local government in supporting our local areas through the uncertainty of Brexit, while also dealing with the ongoing COVID pandemic. Therefore, while, while, while we will be focusing on the impact of, in the ABC area, much of what we will raise today will be familiar to you. However, we still think it's important to highlight these issues, adding weight to what others have shared. Our area is a unique tapestry of both urban and rural, including the ecclesiastical capital of the city of Armagh, and of, of industry with global companies such as Moy Park and Almac, 
and magnificent, magnificent open spaces such as Gosford Forest and Lurgan Park of dynamic arts, culture and sports, including the F.E. McWilliams Gallery, Navin Fort, our spectacular annual Georgian Festival and the regionally significant South Lakes Leisure Centre, which opened its doors just last week. The largest council outside of Belfast and home to over 216,000 people, our borough is, as the name of our community plan suggests, a place of connection, centrally located with both north, south and east, west prominence. We are also a border council with 24.6 miles of border. Daily lives and businesses rely on seamless systems for the movement of people, goods and services. Since the June 2016 referendum, local government has been busy building strong relationships with our partners across departments, a process that has been accelerated by our joint efforts to deal with the current COVID-19 pandemic. Dealing with the pandemic, as it highlighted the need for all aspects of our local, regional and national government to work together cohesively for the benefit of all, building on this will be critical as we move forward. We echo the sentiments of other councils in their briefings in saying that we can only achieve this through co-design of policy and to do so, council must be an equal partner. Local government is uniquely placed as local leaders to shape local places. To understand local needs and help ensure that regional policy and outcomes have an impact at local level. Let's hope that we can all learn from the lessons of the past number of months on the importance of collaboration and communication and use the experience to forge better joined up governance. Since March of this year, councils have been forced to focus almost exclusively on the response to COVID-19 and the second winter wave has ensured local government as a whole will continue to deal with the response phase for some time to come. Consequently, Limited resources will be available at short notice to prepare and position local government for the impacts the end of the transition period will bring. Recruitment and mobilisation of new teams requires resources, an available pool of suitably qualified candidates and can take time. I would ask this committee to be aware of such challenges as we get closer to the end of this transition period. Our submitted report sets out some of the challenges that currently exist. Challenges not only for local government, but for central government, local businesses and local people. We have highlighted the three key areas of concern for the committee that centre on the impact of, on the economy and in particular for our borough and the agri-food sector, the demands on council services and the impact on local communities. Firstly, the economy. The ongoing lack of clarity on the movement of goods and services to and from Northern Ireland has made it difficult for local businesses to plan adequately for new processes and procedures. Our borough is known as the food heartland with a significant agri-food sector, including several large-scale producers and processes, uh, of which there are approximately 20, with known revenues in excess of £1 million per annum. Perspective Economics estimate that there are 2,700 registered firms in Northern Ireland in this sector and approximately 350 of these, which equates to 13%, are in our borough, Armagh, Banbridge and Craigavon. 
This accounts for around 70,000 jobs, including large employers such as My Park and Irwin's. The 2017 Brexit and the Border Corridor report by East Border Region in conjunction with the University of Ulster highlighted that this sec sector, along with manufactured goods and minerals, are those most exposed to the changes in trade and therefore the areas where these were concentrated are at the most risk of any trade shocks. And that the agri-food industry is a sector characterised by low margins, high levels of infirm in competition and is perhaps the most integrated on an all-island basis. At the heart of the non, at the heart of not just the agri-food sector, but integral to haulage, veterinary, hospitality, and many other sectors are other agricultural producers. Our borough has 3,245 active farms, 13% of active farms right across Northern Ireland, who are raising concerns about the loss of single farm payments, the lack of clarity on the agriculture bill, and implications of ammonia thresholds. For our wider business sector, the limited human and financial resources of small medium-sized enterprises, which are the predominant type of business in our borough, leave us concerned that many have not been able to fully prepare for the changes ahead. Whilst as a council, we have been using our limited resources to support them through this sector, specific forums and a business support hub and helpline, this alone will not be enough. We implore you, the committee, to use your influence within the executive to help secure additional financial and practical regional support for small businesses and also to help provide clarity on exactly what is needed for the 1st of January to help those businesses prepare. Secondly, we have concerns on the demand on council services, particularly to support the movement of goods in relation to food export and import. We appreciate the support in 2019-20 of which £124,000 through the Food Standards Agency to help councils prepare and scope the need for food business in the area. However, with the ongoing lack of clarity on the exact nature of what is required, the now impossibly tight timeframes and the perfect storm of also supporting the ongoing response to COVID, we fear that this will not have been enough. Key staff resources are fully engaged in dealing with duties linked with COVID regulations, restrictions and public safety. It is from these teams that officers will be expected to advise and support businesses and if required to support documentation of products being exported from Northern Ireland to GB for subsequent exports into the EU. For any additional role supporting uh, DERA, consideration must be given to the resource implications and funding arrangements. Council has provided DERA with details of five businesses within the ABC area who may require attestations. Until further scoping is carried out with these businesses to gather further information, the demand on Council will not be known. This is a situation which funding alone cannot solve. Again, we ask you, the committee, to help ensure that the local government are treated as an equal partner in the development of solutions and processes going forward. And in doing so, the limitations on our ability to play a full and meaningful role in supporting business and trade without adequate time, people 
and funding should be acknowledged. It is anticipated that on January the 1st, arrangements and infrastructure will not be in place to fully comply with EU legislation. Clarity is therefore required on the contingency arrangements to ensure trade is not adversely affected and avoid unnecessary delays. It is essential that the relevant agencies working closely with councils and intensify plans to support trader readiness for both exporters in GB and importers in Northern Ireland to ensure compliance with EU import requirements. Any delays in trade and supply chains will have a catastrophic effect on local business. As an example, there are 30 premises within our borough which will be required to use new identification marks on packaging from the 1st of January 21. Information on the formats of these marks has only just been confirmed and communicated with businesses which, due to the short turnaround time, will result in current packaging having to be disposed of and delays in new packaging being available due to print run lead-in times. We also have concerns on the demand on other council services. In helping us provide critical support during the pandemic, our staff have gone above and beyond to ensure vital services continued and to deliver additional support, such as our community response and business helpline. The response to COVID-19 is ongoing and local councils' role within this remains a predominant feature of our daily work. Our finite resources must be managed to give maximum impact in the areas of most need in a manner which protects the health and well-being of our staff. And lastly, the impact on our local communities. As a council, we have helped communities by drawing down in excess of £23 million of EU funding over the past six years from a range of sources including PEACE, ERDF, Rural Development and ESF. And that is just directly to council. In addition to this, local communities have themselves secured substantial funding for the betterment of, of the area and its people. We ask for the executive support in seeking clarity on the Social Prosperity Fund and ensuring much needed support is still available to our communities. As a council, we are also worried about the impact which higher living costs could have on those most in need within our borough. The impact of COVID-19 has caused a sharp rise in those needing support with the basic fundamental of feeding themselves and their families, a crisis which will, which will be exasperated further by any rise in the cost of goods and services. This committee members cannot be stressed enough. A report by the cross-border network ICBAN, of which we are a member council, uh, completed in conjunction with Queen's University, highlights the disproportionate impact of Brexit on communities in the centre border region, but north and south of the border. Any restrictions on the movement of people could also have catastrophic can have a catastrophic impact on our growing tourism sector. The significant investment in the Linen Mill Studios licensed studio tour of the Game of Thrones franchise along with the existing tourism appeal of the ecclesiastical uh, city of Armagh and Unique Orchard mean that the local businesses and communities have a growing resilience on this sector. Again, these are issues which will need both regional and local support and intervention. We want to remind government departments that we are here and willing to work collaboratively and innovatively
to maximise the resources available to us all. In summary, members, the difficulties we will face in planning for this new environment after the 1st of January can be lessened by more clarity, closer partnership working, securing appropriate resources and having a shared vision. Finally, let us finish on an opportunity rather than a challenge. Connected, our community plan sets out a clear vision for our borough. These outcomes are supported by the growth deal for our area and numerous other strategic plans from across the partner organisations. Delivery on these will in turn help achieve the aspirations of the of programme for government. As a council, we want to work with government departments to help ensure cohesive, impactful and timely public services and to support local businesses and communities to flourish. I hope we can build on the closer working relationship arrangements which have been fostered through community planning and more recently our response to COVID and implore the executive to work with local government as an equal partner. Together, building innovative policy, services, interventions and supports for helping improving the social, economic and environmental well-being of our places and our people. Members, I want to thank you for allowing us the opportunity to share our thoughts. Thank you very much, uh, Thomas and Roger, for that very comprehensive report that um, certainly has detailed much just of the pressures that you're facing. Um, as we highlighted at the beginning of the process, um, this is week two and your council number seven that's been given us information and we really are taken by the similar uh, and the similarity of the themes that are coming through from all of the councils and there is strength whenever there are uh, similar issues being faced because that's the sort of stuff that we want to be able to pull out and then uh, use to try and get some support and guidance. Um, I suppose maybe just something that you'd said that had struck with myself there, maybe to get some information on the impact of COVID in terms of did, did you have sort of dedicated officers working on Brexit and then COVID has come in and has taken over their priority and now they're moving back into Brexit. And have you noticed any difference in the interactions with um, central government, with, with um, any of the departments in terms of, uh, say, the executive office, for example, in light of coronavirus? Has that gotten in the way of some of the work of the Brexit preparations? Thanks, yes, maybe, maybe Happy, uh, Roger, I, yeah. I can take that, uh, Chair, and, and thank you very much for the opportunity to uh, address the committee. Uh, what we found during uh, the preparations for Brexit uh, during last year, those service areas and uh, parts of the council that would have been working on that were very much the same service areas that are now and have been heavily involved in the COVID response. So, for example, if you take our community development uh, department, very much around meeting uh, the, the need, as Councillor Larkham explained, uh, the community response. So that department had to, to step up and look to see how it could work alongside uh, central government, particularly DFC, uh, on COVID. But it would also have been playing that leading role uh, for the response for Brexit. Similarly, our environmental health uh, department as well, uh, in terms of Brexit preparations, 
that flicked across to COVID um, for working with our local companies and, and businesses to try and make sure that whenever they came out of lockdown and, and starting to reopen again, that they were able to do so in a safe way. So th the resource demand is very much focused within those same groups and, and teams of people. And I think that's where last week you heard from councils a similar story of this perfect storm, the 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 impact and, and the demand that's placed on, on similar resources. In terms of working with central government, I suppose what I would say is our experience has certainly been strengthened over the last number of months. Um, it varies across departments. Uh, there are some departments work much more closely with local government uh, than, than others and they are to be commended for that. But through our community plan work and, and through that COVID work, we have a better understanding of, of how we can work. Um, we have maybe prioritised COVID more over the last six to nine months. And that's the concern is now that uh, in the, the remaining 50 days, there is very little time to really uh, start to get ready for 1st of January. Okay, thank you. Um, Trevor Lund, you're looking to come in. All right, thanks. Uh, <clears throat> thanks, gentlemen, for your presentation. Um, you mentioned the situation around your large employers down there and then in the report you have Moy Park and Irwin's Bakery and also uh, Thomas I think you mentioned Almac and those, those three are all I would say vulnerable to the pressures that are coming around now around uh, export and import and fast movement of goods. What, what discussions have you had? I'm thinking particularly of, of Almac because I think that they, they actually have opened a, a new Present presence down in Dundalk or Drogheda for precisely to guard against the perils that we're now talking about. So, have you had major discussions with those three employers? Yeah, uh, Chairman, I'll, I'll maybe uh, at least start on, on this one. Uh, we have good relationships with uh, all of our employers uh, in the area. It's one of the things that we work hard to do. And, uh, we're always conscious as well not to, to focus just purely on uh, the large employers. Uh, we're made up of a backbone of SMEs uh, within the, the borough as well. We have a range of uh, forums that are, are sector specific, so whether that's health and life sciences, agri-food, advanced manufacturing, those sorts of areas. So we would work with uh, those companies in, in those sector uh, forums to try and see what work are they doing? What preparations are they making? But also, where there are smaller companies, is there advice and support that they can uh, do as well? But you're right, Trevor, that uh, Almac certainly um, opened up a facility in Dundalk in fairly quick uh, time, it has to be said uh, as well. And I think they, they can't be criticised for doing that. It was obviously a, a business operation and a business need. Thankfully, they have... Uh, a strong commitment and loyalty to the Craig Avon area and are, are reassuring us that that is where they remain as, as their uh, global headquarters. But obviously they, they had to uh, plan ahead as well. Yes, I mean, we have a similar situation in Lisburn with Coca-Cola, who have a major presence in the South as well. And it's really up to them where they base themselves and where they conduct their business from. And they, they have major concerns also about the movement of goods across the border. But I think their, their stuff wouldn't be quite as perishable or as urgent as perhaps Elmac's would, you know. And if Elmac can't get their raw materials and get them out into the market uh, pronto, they will have a major problem. 
and so will your council. Yeah, completely agree with you, uh, Trevor, on that. Uh, I mean, and that's, that's something that uh, we're mindful of, and that's why that movement of goods, uh, that movement of people, uh, that free movement is, is so critical. Um, but again, the common response that we get back from all of the companies, and uh, whether they're large or small, is it's getting that information, it's getting that clarity. Oh, yeah, clarity. So they can plan, it, so they can plan effectively. There's that word again, clarity. <laughs> Heard that seven times last week. And communication. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Sharon. Thanks, gentlemen. Okay, I'm going to ask Bertina to come in next now and ask a question via Starleaf. Thank you, Chair. And, uh, and Thomas, thank you for the, uh, for the briefing that was sent around. And, I suppose to concur with what the chair and others have said around the request for the need for clarity. I know the executive, uh, I know the executive office, uh, the, the joint first ministers and other ministers indeed have also been looking for that clarity. And like everyone else that's, see that's seeking that, the British government is treating the executive and the Scottish administration and the Welsh administration like mushrooms and keeping them in the dark. So it's no comfort to you, um, I know, because that clarity is not there. But that said, trying to deal with the pressures that you're under, I was very taken by the fact that 13% um, of the farms are active farm uh, in your area, which is obviously a, a significant enough proportion. Have you been able to ascertain or use the councillors that you have there who promoted Brexit, advocated for Brexit, and who believed that the Shared Prosperity Fund would replace, for instance, the 20 million that you and others have been talking about? Because we've been trying to get some understanding about the Shared Prosperity Fund and maybe those in your own council uh, chamber that advocated for Brexit, maybe they might have uh, an insight into that fund more than we do. I think, uh, Chair, that, that's something that I think we said in the presentation that we, we need to get uh, that greater clarity on the, the shared prosperity fund, which we, we don't have a, at this moment in time. No, and, and unfortunately, uh, uh, neither do we. Um, Ickband, um, really taken by the report that came in from them and what you had said um, in your presentation, Thomas, about the devastating impact that it would have. And I'm wondering if you've been able to connect um, in another way with the council at the other side of the border petition in Ireland um, to delve into the Shared Prosperity Fund or the Shared Ireland Fund, the 500 million that we heard from um, Micheál Martin that's in place just to see if there's an opportunity, for instance, for your council to, to tap into that um, and what kind of collaboration takes place with yourself and whether it is the nearest council uh, to the border. Like if, for instance, in Derry and Donegal, there you know, the memorandums of understanding and there's work taking place with the two councils and they were actually quite focal in making presentations about the impact that it was going to have on this wider region of the Northwest. And it's just to see if you have that kind of connectivity with uh, with councils there. Yeah. 
Thanks, uh, Chair. I'll maybe again start off and, and let Councillor Larkham uh, add to it. Uh, Martina, I know you're, you're absolutely right. Um, that being a border council area, we work very, very closely with our neighbouring councils, uh, whether it's Mid-Ulster and uh, Fermanagh and Oma on, on a Mid-Southwest growth deal, but we are also very conscious of our, our neighbouring uh, councils. Certainly, I would work very closely and the council works closely with uh, Monaghan uh, County Council. Uh, and in fact, one of the projects that we're currently uh, delivering uh, jointly is a, a Greenway project, uh, Smithborough to, to Middletown. So there, there's very much uh, that cross-border work going on. Other infrastructure projects, the likes of uh, you know, Belfast to Dublin, uh, Economic Corridor, where we, where we would work with a range of councils, both uh, in, in the north and in, in the south as well. So that ongoing activity is very much there. Uh, with regard to the shared island fund that was only uh, announced uh, last week or the week before by the, the Taoiseach, I think that's certainly something that uh, we are interested in and we'd want to take a look at, given our uh, neighbours and we share similar issues around access to skills and, and the whole economics uh, of the area, never mind Brexit, COVID and, and those sorts of things. So I don't know, uh, Thomas, whether you want to... And Roger has articulated that very well. Yes, just to just to, to back the, everything that he set up in relation to where we are. Um, you know, we do work quite closely with, uh, as he's highlighted, a number of other uh, uh, councils um, in in that regard. But I suppose it comes back to the initial point that you know there is a lot of uncertainty. There's no real clarity around any of the stuff coming forward, and there's a lot of unknowns out there. So I suppose in relation to all of that. You know, we do need a lot of the information coming forward in order to move forward uh, together and cohesively. Can I just say the one thing that worries me, and it's a worry that I've had from last week to this week, but one thing we do know that in 50 days' time we're being taken out of the EU against the democratic wishes of those of us who want to remain, and maybe those of us, obviously, you had another point of view, but we know that's coming in 50 days' time. There's no going back from that. Uh, we know there's a protocol in place, and therefore, we know we're going. You're going to get access into the EU, but you're you're going to lose the twenty million that you talked about. Whether that's replaced enough is another matter. None of us have any clarity at all, or see any signs of the shared prosperity fund coming. So, what have you said? We um insight at all into the kind of job losses that are going to be affected? I know that a number of groups and organisations in your area have tapped into the European Social Fund. You know, European Regional Development Fund. Uh, I know that ICBAND has done a lot of work at drawing down, helping you draw down European funding. You talked about 20 million, and then the community groups that have other funding as well. I'm sure it's going to be potentially devastating um, if that funding is not replaced. Yeah, and, and I suppose, Martina, just, just to, to follow on with that, it's not, uh, aside from that, skills are going to be lost as well, and that's a very key. A point across that. I don't know if Roger has any anything further to add. Yeah, again, Martina can understand and uh, agree. We don't have a figure in terms of the, the wider uh, network. I mean, we are not only members of ICBAN, but also of East Border Region, just because of where we are located. We, we are part and parcel of that. So the 23 million was very much uh, the, the funding that we as council have directly uh, drawn down. Um, we, we have managed to get extensions of contracts with SEUPB up until the end of December. Obviously, Peace Plus and the Shared Island uh, Fund, those are the sorts of things that we need to, to look to to see where the future is. But again, 
we know that Peace Plus uh, decisions and clarity on on that is is something that is um, you know we're, we're waiting on uh, as well. So I think that's something maybe the committee, if, if we could implore to try and see where and how that can be uh, progressed. So just to, from my understanding through the chair, so that twenty million. We could make this a brief one because it was supposed to be three questions per council. Sorry, just for clarity. That twenty million doesn't include the money that's lost to farmers, single farm payment. No, uh, Martina, that, that's twenty-three million in funding that ABC Council has drawn down. Okay, thank you, Chair. Thank you, Martina. I appreciate that. Um, okay, look, R Roger and um, Thomas, thank you very much indeed for uh, giving us our presentation. I, I think we really probably could spend a whole afternoon with each council. Uh, just to interrogate all of the impacts of this and I'm so sorry that we have to, to keep it within a 25 minute slot so um, thank you very much for coming along and giving us your update and we'll hopefully be um, taking some action on the back of these uh, meetings and, and you'll see some action from that what we're going to do uh, with the information that you've provided with us so thank you very much for coming along today Thank you, thank you for your time Thank you very much Okay and we thank um, the gentleman there and we'll move on straight away because we're already running about 10 minutes behind. Um, if we could move to our next council, which is Mid and East Antrim. And we have from Mid and East Antrim, we have Councillor Peter Johnson, who's the mayor. And we have Anne Donaghy, who is the chief executive. Um, you're both very welcome this afternoon. Just to advise you that the session is being recorded by Hansard and that the transcript will be published on the committee webpage. Um, thank you very much for uh, coming along to give us some information this afternoon and maybe if we just pass over to yourselves to give us a bit of background about how uh, Brexit will be impacting yourselves in your council area and then we'll open it up to a few questions from members. Thank you Chair and, uh, and thank you again for the, the opportunity today um, to present uh, to this committee. As Mayor of Mid and East Antrim Borough, I would uh, like to thank you for the opportunity to engage again with the Executive Committee on the EU exit-related matters. I'm joined today by our Chief Executive, Anne Donaghy, OBE, and will give you an overview of our position before passing uh, across to Anne shortly. As an award-winning organisation, Mid and East Antrim Borough Council leads the way in the delivery and transformation of ever more efficient and improved public services for our 139,000 citizens. Traditionally referred to as the engine room of Northern Ireland's economy, the area is synonymous with manufacturing industry, power generation and agri-food industries, as well as the very strategic port of Larne. As an integral part of the United Kingdom, internal trade is our biggest market. Unfettered access to Great Britain is of critical importance to maintaining and supporting the trade and commerce. With the celebrations around the centenary of Northern Ireland next year, the work of our Council has focused on a range of areas of celebration, including trade and commerce. Celebrating the innovators, the entrepreneurs and the contribution of Northern Ireland to the UK and global economy has been a key feature of the last 100 years and something that we want to build on moving into the next century. The impact of COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted the importance of the connectivity across the United Kingdom. As part of the recovery plan, I'm keen to see a levelling up of the economy uh, and connectivity will be a key feature of that recovery, which I'm sure you will all agree. 
Efforts should focus on the economic, social, cultural and digital linkages across the Irish Sea. We've worked closely with our partners in Dumfries and Galloway and have established the North Channel Partnership, a unique east-west relationship building a virtual bridge across to Scotland. The Port of Larne continues to be a key gateway for Northern Ireland and as the shortest, fastest crossing between Northern Ireland and Scotland, it continues to be a critical arterial route between Northern Ireland, Scotland and England. The COVID-19 pandemic has shown the importance of the supply chain for essential goods and services. The current position regarding the Northern Ireland Protocol is a matter of significant concern for our Council. With less than 50 days remaining until the end of the transition period, gaining clarity on the practical implications of Brexit is of the utmost importance. We appeal today to the European Union to adopt flexibility in the negotiations with the Prime Minister in order to reach agreement on the key areas so goods and service continued, can continue to flow freely across the internal market. We have an opportunity post-transition period to establish and grow our Northern Ireland PLC brand and I would encourage everyone to play their part. We're very mindful of the potential impacts of the end of the transition period on the local economy and on our citizens. The Chief Executive has been monitoring developments very closely during the transition period and we have identified a number of key issues which I will pass over to her to take us through. Thank you, Mayor, and I would reiterate all of what the Mayor has said and I also would thank the committee for the opportunity to present today on Brexit. I suppose for Mid and East Antrim, there are three key areas that we'd like to raise. Number one is the economic impact. Number two is the point of entry at Lauren Port. And then number three is the opportunities that we see before us. In terms of the economic impact, uh, we remain concerned that negotiations between the UK government and the EU have not proceeded at the anticipated uh, rate and we are now very limited time to agree and ratify a deal and to ensure preparedness on the ground. We need to ensure that the tariffs are avoided. We remain concerned that the EU may not agree to no tariffs as their legislation um, says that charges must be applied. This would bring a huge financial impact and burden to Northern Ireland trade for both the internal market and export. And as the Mayor says, we've only 50 days left to get prepared. Council has written to the Chancellor of the Duchy of, of Lancaster, Michael Gove MP, to highlight our concerns. However, he has made it clear that there will be no phased approach and the protocol will take effect from the 1st of January 2021. We are concerned about the impact that this will have on our GVA, having only a few years ago been highlighted as the highest drop in GVA in the whole of the UK at some 13% due to manufacturing job losses. We have as a council and as a borough worked very hard to bring that back up again. So we need to ensure that our supply chains, which rely on a just-in-time delivery, have unfettered access to internal markets. Any friction caused to the flow of goods caused by the bureaucracy, checks or delays will have a significant impact on the economic viability of our key businesses. And we now are, are hearing that there may be 100% checks on documentation. 
In the in Mid-East Antrim Borough, we have 91% SMEs. Most of them have not traded beyond the UK before and therefore will require to complete custom declarations. This is a new challenge. And so on the 1st of January, they will have uncharted territory. So despite a two million or, or two hundred million investment in the trader support scheme and contacting businesses to get them registered so that the government can complete the necessary customs declarations. We've been shocked in this area that there's been such a low uptake by SMEs, such as our concerns that the councillors decided that we would have we would go out as a council to reach out to those traders to contact them again to encourage them. And we continue to do that. Uh, I suppose a further concern is that the trader support scheme is, uh, uh, by government is for only two years and then the burden will be passed directly to the trader to complete the documentation etc themselves. Additional costs associated with checks will put local business at a competitive disadvantage and we have real concerns on the impact of this. Our business uh, just gone through. Um, our business has just gone through COVID, and any additional checks, friction, delays to trade uh, in the internal market would be very, very concerning. Moving to the second point, which is the point of entry at Larn Harbour. It is concerning that uh, as a substantial point of entry um, is to be erected at the Larne Harbour. We acknowledge that as the port in Northern Ireland, which currently permits livestock movements, we expect some degree to have facilitated um, checks, which is currently the case. What concerns us is the scale of the point of entry infrastructure for the Northern Ireland Protocol. Initially, when the process started, we were told that this would be limited infrastructure. Council had assurances from the Secretary of State, the Chancellor of Duchy of Lancaster and the Prime Minister that there would only be minimal inspections at the Port of Larne. Over the past 18 months, Council has presented evidence to the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee, was spoken to the Secretary of State and we've highlighted at various times um, that they need to be fully aware of the implementation of the protocol. We've also worked closely with our two MPs, uh, Sammy Wilson and Ian Paisley, and we're now aware that a significant seven-acre site is being developed despite having those assurance of minimalist inspections. What is of concern is the information has been drip-fed and there's a concern that traders and business don't fully understand what is expected of them on the 1st of January. As a council, we've also uh, were instructed to appoint 12 environmental health officers to undertake inspections. We have employed those officers. However, we also understand they'll not be fully utilised until perhaps June 21, when the point of entry infrastructure will be complete. And we are also unclear of the level of inspection for documentation, identification and physical. Um, and as I said earlier, believing we've now been um, told informally that uh, it could be up to 100% on documentation. I want to finish on the third point, which is the opportunities that Mid and East Antrim see. We, we are known to be a resilient, positive outlook of a council. And we're always keen to move forward to maximise the benefits of everything, including the UK's new global trading arrangements following the departure from the EU. We are actively looking at the opportunities to create through our exit how we can strengthen um, our 
our community and how we can strengthen uh, Northern Ireland. One such opportunity is that we would work hard to secure one of the 10 free ports that are to be created across the UK. This will provide a catalyst for enterprise, for innovation and for economic growth. Much of the work that has been completed uh, on the logistics hub model by Midland East Centrum, which based at the former Michelin site in Ballymena, could be transferable for the potential Freeport model, coupled with the Port of Larne as a gateway. The Shared Prosperity Fund also offers another great opportunity for interregional catalyst innovation and and uh, to grow across the, the UK and to ensure that there is a, a focus on that money coming. We need to adopt to the Northern Ireland PLC approach to build trade and relations both within the UK and across the world. Throughout the last 12 months in Midney Centrum, we have seen a really increased appetite for foreign direct investment and we are encouraged by that interest and the potential for further growth. We need to grasp the opportunity to market the benefits of Northern Ireland, including our direct border with the EU, and also the freedom to enjoy new global trading arrangements as part of the UK. Mid and East Antrim Borough Council have recently established, as the Mayor has highlighted, the North Channel Partnership alongside our colleagues in Dunfees and Galloway. And this focuses on embracing and developing the linkage between the two regions. Maintaining unfettered access for Northern Ireland is, is key to the entire region. Efforts should focus on building the virtual bridge that the Mayor has highlighted um, between the two regions uh, in terms of economy, social, culture and digital. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time to listen to our evidence. Okay, thank you very much indeed for that, um, for that detailed presentation. Um, Certainly, unfortunately, due to a frozen screen, a fair amount of that we see has come from an arm that's in front of our screen at the, at the minute, but uh, so we're not actually able to, to see you in real time, but we can certainly hear you okay. Um, so maybe just in terms of um, starting with a question, um, maybe just given that you do have the, the Port of Lauren there, just how much interaction have you had as a council as to what's been developed there? Um, now, notwithstanding whether you support or don't support Brexit in whichever side, but just in the whole development of everything that's there, as the local council, have your views been sought? Have you been involved in the process of what's been developed there? Or is it a case of you're just being told what's happening at that site? I'm maybe beginning with that question. No, we, we have been engaging with, as I said earlier, um, with the, uh, Michael Gove, with the Secretary of State, with um, the um, Prime Minister, and we've also been engaging with the FSA and with DERA uh, throughout the process. I suppose um, the drip feed um, could have been improved, but you know we've been engaging and putting our views forward. Um, we would have liked more clarity quicker, of course, but um, we have been engaging all along um, with all of those people in the last 18 months. Has that been two-way engagement with the Prime Minister or has that just been you sending your views to him? 
Well, we have sent our views to all those people, and I have to say they all respectfully um, sent back correspondence. Um, certainly, you know, we are very keen that, um, you know, the Prime Minister gets a deal with the EU and, you know, really keen that, that that can really move things forward. So we're keen that that happens, and we've, you know, we've said that all along. So um, we have been engaging, as I said, but, um, and we've appointed the 12 EHOs that we've been instructed to do, to appoint, and they're currently in training. I suppose, really, uh, um, the, the fact that the infrastructure uh, will not be there to June, um, there, I, I would like clarity, and the Council has, has sought clarity in terms of what happens between January and June. And I was interested to hear uh, about your connections with, uh, I think, was it Dumfries and Galloway Council to be able to try and, and look at some sort of um, shared work. Have you found any uh, areas of divergence where maybe um, Scotland would be unhappy with what's happening in the north and vice versa? And has that caused any um, interesting discussions or, or has it all been just about what's been shared between the two council areas? Well, um We've had a very positive relationship with Dunfees and Galloway. Um, one of the things that we are very keen to work on is connectivity. So uh, we're now working with them on the development of the A75, the A77, and I suppose uh, working across um, the Scottish Government and indeed uh, with the UK Government in terms of trying to secure the money for the road. Um, I suppose members will know that the infrastructure when you get to the other side of, of the water um, is very poor, so from the S77 and the S75, so um, that will create a very a, a really good uh, road infrastructure for the internal market. Okay. Uh, Emma, Chair. Thanks, Chair, and thank you both for your presentation. And I suppose it's just leading on from what the, the Chair had been asking around the, the Port of Larne. So I know you had mentioned that the infrastructure isn't going to be in place until June, um, but that you've employed environmental health officers. And I know there's been a conversation around around this. Um, the Agriculture Minister had said that there weren't going to be uh, ports built at Larne, and, and then there were. And there's a, there's a wee bit of confusion around all of that. And you've mentioned that you want to see a deal, and I think we all want to see a deal. But how likely do you think that is? And when you're talking there about your correspondence with the, the British government and with the different MPs, do you feel like your views are being listened to and what you want to see happening is, is happening as a result of that? Well, I, I am, first of all, our two local MPs have been listening um, to Council's concerns. We have very um, close working relationships with our two MPs, and they do take the concern of Council straight to the heart of government. So that, that will be clear in terms of um, our views through to um, the various, to Michael Gove, etc. Like, they have come back, they have listened to our views. Um, and we did give evidence to the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee. So we put all this, uh, uh, similar to what we said to you today, we, and, and in previous, um, previously had t went into more detail maybe with them, but uh, um, I think that they have taken on board our views. Um, do I think a deal can be done? I really hope so. Um, it's up to our Prime Minister now to, to go and do that deal uh, with, uh, with the EU. I, um, I think it would be it really it would solve a lot of a lot of issues if, if that could happen. Um, but I, I couldn't give up. I wouldn't know 
if it, if it would, but I, I would certainly hope so, and I know the mayor would feel the same. Yeah, and I suppose just um, on on the back of that, from uh, from the chief executive there, you know, I can um, also come come in behind there in terms of of the support from our our MPs and also our our uh, our MLAs throughout the borough. You know, it has been um, it has been very commendable, and and it's something that uh, you know to put on record to you that that as a council we're very grateful for that those working relationships and. And um, and it's that team approach, and I, I I think you know as we move towards um, the the thirty first of December, um, you know it, it, this this will be you know us as a council as as part of a cog in, the, in, in a big machine, and, and you know I believe that we we have, and, and I know through through the chief executive we we have certainly you know lobbied the the, the case. And, and and I suppose the, the other thing to say too that has been encouraging is just um, how pro business our, our council has been, and you know from the very outset um, our council has been very supportive of of our local economy here, um, and and you know recognises fully just how much that uh, local economy relies on the, the trade within the internal market. Um, and, uh, and also with uh, with the EU too. So there has been um, there there has been plenty of support on that side. And as, and I suppose at this stage, you know, we would want to appeal for a, a willingness on the side of the EU um, during these negotiations to find a compromise. You know, the, the, I think very much so at this stage now, the the ball is is in the court of the EU, and and we would continue to support. Um, our, our, uh, our, our, our assembly and, and also our prime minister during those um, uh, negotiations. Can I just, yep. just for a quick follow-up? So I appreciate that, and, and it's very clear from your presentation that you're very passionate about uh, the area that you represent, uh, which you, you would expect. But I just following on, you use the term compromise there, but I'm just concerned that you, you've said there that you feel you are being listened to. But I'm getting quite clearly that you're you did not want to see infrastructure at Larne and that that was going to have implications for your local businesses and for businesses across the north. But it looks like that is going to happen. So I'm just wondering, like you're being supported and listened to, but what you actually want to see happening isn't isn't happening as a result of that. So I don't know how then successful you could say the correspondence has been. Well, if, if I could maybe say it, like, um, we have been listened to and, you know, but we've also been given um, a direction in that we got, uh, when we wrote to Michael Gove, he did say, look, it's happening on the 1st of January now. At the end of the day, we are where we are and, you know, we are not looking back, you know, we look forward and what we're saying is, you know, we have... We have to, we have to implement this, we have to make sure that, um, that we... Have unfettered access. We have to make sure at this stage the focus is on the, that the, there is uh, no charges or tariffs for the businesses. We have to make sure. So our focus is on what can we realistically get over the line in, in 50 days. And, and certainly from our point of view, that is very much uh, can be released through the EU. And um, you know, so the big focus now is what what can we get? It's here, and there's nothing we can do about that. We have to go forward in terms of implementation and supporting our businesses. No. Thank you. Thanks, Chair. Okay, members, thank you very much. And uh, take the opportunity to, to thank Anne and Peter for um, that presentation and for answering those questions. It's been, uh, uh, as ever, it's great to hear from the councils and the unique 
um, issues that you face and, and, and opportunities, but also um, the shared uh, issues that are there as well. So thank you very much for that presentation, and we will certainly look forward to incorporating those views into any report that we produce. Um, so thank you very much indeed. That's great. Thank you. Okay, members, we'll rattle on as quick as possible because we're just running a few minutes late and we might be able to pick it up at the uh, break time. So we'll move on to our next council, which is Ards and North Down Borough Council. And we can take the opportunity to welcome Councillor Trevor Cummings, who's the Mayor of Ards and North Down, and also to Susie McCullough, who is the Director of Regeneration Development and Planning in the council you're both very welcome um from a very you know certainly we'll give you the points for one of the best backdrops that we've seen so far for uh, these that's that certainly Banger is castle. Uh, Banger castle we're being being told here looks very well um so if we'll maybe hand over to yourselves if you just want to do um, a short presentation and then we can get a few questions afterwards Okay, Chair, um, thank you very much uh, to yourself and to the committee members for having this opportunity to participate in uh, this evidence session. Uh, as has been uh, suggested, I'm Councillor Trevor Cummings, Mayor of Arts and North uh, Borough Council, and I'm joined today by Susie McCulloch, who is our Director of Regeneration Development and Planning. We have been listening intently to the two briefings that have already been received today and have heard the evidence you have received from six other councils last week. Also, it is clear uh, that there are a lot of common themes running through all the presentations and we welcome the fact, Chair, that you have committed to prepare this report uh, through the evidence sessions and, and bring the concerns of local government to the attention of the executive and in turn to the government. Perhaps the most worrying thing has been, that has been evident throughout all the presentations uh, is that despite only 50 days away um, from the end of the transition period, there remains so much uncertainty. Uh, many of the unknowns associated with the EU exit will emerge in the long term and are difficult to predict, I acknowledge. Uh, for example, the, the impact on the economy and the population demographics uh, will be uh, very difficult uh, to, to set in place. But certainly there is a lot of uh, decisions that lie within the gift of political leaders uh, to resolve, and, and time is rolling out. But particular concern uh, you won't be surprised to hear is the operation of the Northern Ireland Protocol, as has been referred to previously. The lack of agreement and the clarity that it has put uh, uh, businesses in uh, is very notable particularly as they set to make preparations uh, for the administration and the costs that may arise uh, from a trade deal and also in respect of the EU product standard, standard requirements. I suppose it also puts Council in a difficult position too and that we're unable to offer advice and support with our businesses. We do have a very solid and uh, good relationship with our local businesses and we do keep in touch with them but we are, we are in a place now where we really cannot offer them the guidance that they are seeking at this moment. And it makes it difficult for us all to plan. And of particular note is the impact uh, on the Environmental Health Department who require particular guidance on a lot of issues. Another concern we have uh, relates to the European standards of produce. 
Uh, for example, we're very proud in this world for the local uh, Cumber Earlies potato to have attained uh, EU PGI status, uh, which have not only protected the product, but have also served as a very profitable uh, platform for marketing a very worthwhile uh, uh, produce. Uh, we could be concerned that the, the EU actually would actually remove such a status uh, from, from us and growers and the agri-food sector uh, in particular would feel the impact of that. We have enjoyed annual festivals celebrating that and, and the platform continues, but that reward and that uh, endorsement of success is something that is celebrated and valued greatly. I suppose on that point too, I would make reference to uh, the European entrepreneurial regional status that was secured in 2015, uh, which also focuses on small to medium-sized enterprises. And we as a borough council uh, uh, did benefit from that, and we, we, we demonstrated a very effective working relationship, not only with NILGA and Invest NI, but right across all the businesses in the borough in that regard. It was an opportunity to sort of profile the uh, young entrepreneurs in particular who were engaging in startups. To have all this uncertainty running in parallel with COVID-19 uh, has already put a, a huge strain on businesses and resources on the council. And that, of course, has become unprecedented as we have noticed over recent months. Dealing with the consequences whatever they may be of the EU exit and the continuing to support our communities and businesses is however a challenge that the Council will rise to. I'm immensely proud of the manner in which we have responded to the COVID-19 pandemic. At the outset, we have developed and implemented a, a community response plan, which included offering signposting and support to vulnerable people who have been able to deliver over 5,000 food parcels to uh, over the last few months, and we've administered and distributed COVID-19 funding support from the Department of Communities to local community pace groups. Our economic development team quickly developed an emergency business support plan to support uh, and provide signposts and proactively engage with local businesses in that period of time. They proactively engaged one-to-one -one with over a thousand businesses and online with over 2,000 businesses Council have a very strong link with communities and businesses at grass, grassroots level and the principle of subsidiarity is very much realised in the local government area. In the time of crisis, we, we are an institution that, that people turn to for help and support. We've also uh, strengthened our lobbying uh, abilities uh, as a result of COVID. And in doing so, we have worked closely with the cross council and uh, governmental departments. The achievements, for example, in securing funding for local government have shown that together we are stronger and work very effectively. The resolve shown by this council, indeed, all 11 councils, I would say, across Northern Ireland, uh, will be challenged into assisting our communities and our businesses to face challenges brought about by the EU exit. But we can only do that if we have certainty uh, as to the framework that we're going to operate within. Uh, turning to the written briefing uh, that has been submitted uh, by Council in advance of today's session, you will see that we've highlighted uh, our key areas of concern with regard to the EU exit. A considerable amount uh, of the content poses questions rather than providing uh, you know, a detailed narrative for you. And I appreciate that 
Uh, a lot of the answers are beyond the remit of this committee. Uh, but rather than, rehear uh, rather than rehearse the whole paper again, especially as it covers the same ground that has been covered previously, uh, I'm going to turn to my colleague, uh, Susie McCullough, maybe to pick up on the points, just to provide you some context of uh, where we stand in delivery in relation to the borough. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. So yes, I'm going to give you some, I suppose, facts and statistics in relation to the EU Brexit, specifically for Ards North Down. So across the borough, there's a diverse range of businesses, particularly in relation to agriculture, forestry, and fishery industries. We've over 600 businesses in these fields. And as you know, these industries could be the hardest hit in relation to depending on trade requirements that would be brought in by EU um, exit. We currently, for example, have 78 registered vessels for fishery with approximately 300 people employed between Portavogie, Bangor, and Portaferry. Together with an oyster fishery at Kalinchi, there's nine processing um, establishments and a shellfish dispatch centre, as well as a shellfish purification and dispatch centre. And Portafogie Fish Market is a European approved fish auction house. There is complexity within the supply chain. And in many cases, our environmental health officers may be required to provide evidence for movement of fishery products from the place of landing to allow the supply chain to continue to flow at various stages. However, much of the clarity needed will not be possible until final arrangements have been reached with the EU. It also remains unclear as to whether local fishermen are going to have exclusive rights to the Irish Sea fisheries as envisaged, or whether EU boats are still going to be able to fish those waters. Over 4,000 businesses in Ards and North Down, which represent almost 90% of our total businesses, are micro-businesses. These are the businesses that will be particularly vulnerable to significant changes in trading requirements they may, that may come about as a result of Brexit, as they've got less resources to handle that. InvestNI has reported that businesses may have to fill out customs forms with 31 entries to send goods to the rest of the UK, and this paperwork alone could cost up to £55 each time which means that our smaller businesses will be disproportionately affected. And we're concerned in the impact that this will have on our 526 businesses that are currently trading in Great Britain. Also, if tariffs are to be imposed, we believe these would have to be paid up front with refunds then claimed back. And we would be concerned about the cash flow, particularly for our smaller businesses. There also remains a lot of issues connected with travel between Northern Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, Great Britain and further afield. For example, what impact will the travel arrangements have on those wanting to fly into Dublin and out of Belfast or vice versa? Depending on the outcome of those arrangements, there may be a negative impact on the tourism industry, which is very worrying given that Ards and North Down relies more heavily on the tourism and hospitality sector than any other council area. 14% of the jobs in our borough are dependent on this sector, which is the highest percentage across all of the 11 councils. For example, we have 355 hospitality businesses, which is a sector that's already been hardest hit by the COVID pandemic. And these businesses alone provide 4,000 people with jobs. Even the current context of uncertainty appears to have had a negative impact, according to the Tourism NI Chief Executive. When he briefed the Economy Committee back in February, he said that there had already been a fall in French and German tourists coming to Northern Ireland because of Brexit. Ards North Down has also benefited significantly from EU funding. We have four ESF projects in the borough, amounting to 14.8 million. We have 16 projects benefiting from ERDF funding, which relates to 4. Point, or sorry, 2.43 million of grants. 
and this includes our Council Run Shine programme, which is our principal business support programme aimed at supporting micro and small enterprises. 4.93 million of funding is going out in the borough through our Rural Development Programme, of which 1.33 million of this is coming directly from Europe. And this includes £800,000 from the Rural Business Investment Scheme, which has benefited 31 businesses in the borough. We're also awaiting confirmation on a potential grant that we've submitted to CFLAG for an additional 85,000. We've also received 3.3 million in peace funding since 2016, and we're pleased that the future funding for Peace Plus has been secured, and we're working to influence how this money will be allocated. However, we are extremely keen to have clarity on how the Shared Prosperity Fund will be administered. In total, Arts and North Down Borough Council has secured in the region of 22 million in EU funding all of which has been administered to help support our businesses and communities. And has been highlighted in our written briefing paper, given the additional demands already placed on our Council's environmental health departments as a consequence of COVID-19 regulations, it is imperative that any additional roles and responsibilities allocated as a result of the EU Brexit are reasonable and realistic and agreed in consultation with Council and fully funded by government. In terms of staffing to prepare for the EU exit, we employed one additional environmental health officer, which was funded by the Office for Product Safety and Standards. This enabled us to carry out effective market surveillance of non-food um, non consumer goods. This funding is up to 55,000 per council, but it is to be spent by the 31st of March 2021. And although we very much welcome this offer, um, we believe this market surveillance will need to carry on beyond March and therefore additional funding would be welcome. We believe that we will need to recruit an additional three environmental health officers, depending on any outworkings of the UK-EU agreement. However, there is currently a shortage of suitable qualified EHOs, and therefore recruitment may be difficult. So in conclusion, Mr Chairman, um, our ask specifically would be that firstly, decisions are made and clarity provided with regard to the Northern Ireland Protocol and trade arrangements in order that our businesses in the borough can start preparing and that we as a council can equip ourselves with the knowledge to support them through this process. Also, that consideration of funding models is prioritised as withdrawal of EU funding without a suitable replacement will have a direct impact on businesses and communities. And finally, that any additional roles and responsibilities allocated to councils as a result of the EU exit are reasonable and realistic and agreed in consultation with councils and fully funded by government. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed uh, for that presentation. I'm going to take two questions and pass uh, first to Pat Sheehan. Thanks, Chair, and thanks for your presentation. I'm just wondering if any calculation or estimation has been done of what uh, your council area is going to lose in terms of EU funding uh, and what damage uh, in monetary terms is going to be done to the tourist industry in your council area. Thank you. So yes, I'll take that question. Thank you. Um, so as outlined in my presentation, we have 22 million currently that we've secured in EU funding to go out to our communities and businesses. And um, we are working extremely hard and particularly through Solus um, and Nilga to influence the Share Prosperity Fund and also through East Border Region in relation to the Peace Plus. Um, but obviously that will have a significant impact. We have a, a best and worst and middle case scenario both in relation to Brexit and also in relation to COVID-19. 
of what it would mean um, in relation to the amount of both domestic and non-domestic rates that could be lost to the borough. Um, and I suppose our middle case scenario was currently running about two million um, of those uh, rates would be lost to council. But ultimately, it would be the negative impact for the loss of jobs and the loss of businesses. Um, as I outlined in the presentation, we are extremely worried that our agri-food, our fisheries um, and our tourism and hospitality businesses will be worst hit by both Brexit um, and, and also COVID-19. Um, so it comes as a double blow to them. Okay, uh, and sorry, I, I just wanted to follow up on that with uh, a, a quick question in terms of uh, overall European funding in the council area, things like uh, 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 agricultural payments and things like that. Has there been any calculation done of that? And do you have any definitive information about the Prosperity Fund and how it's going to be uh, 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 shared out? So the 22 million um, is specifically money that the council has and then the council has put out through various schemes. Um, we haven't done a calculation because obviously um, there's lots of other money goes, for example, out through DERA in EU money. Um, I do know we do have the calculations for how much money we received in, for example, from East Border Region um, and other schemes. We just don't have that to hand, but we can certainly provide it. Um, we have given... Um, this was our thoughts of how we would like the Share Prosperity Fund to work, in particular in relation to the level of funding we believe needs to be in that pot, um, and also in relation to um, how we believe it really needs to be easy to monitor, easy to deliver, um, and we see councils as being a key partner. I think that message has come across quite clearly from all of the councils. Um, but I suppose we are waiting to hear what that will be, but we are certainly trying with our other council colleagues to lobby for how we would like the Share Prosperity Fund to be, but you may know more than we will know. <laughs> you must be joking. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Okay, um, Trevor Lunn. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Chair. Thanks for your presentation. Um, I want to ask you about your comments about the fishing industry. I can understand your concerns. You have 78 boats, I think you said, uh, 300 people directly employed there, plus the processing. It's a, it's a major concern for North Down, but uh, it, it does say in your report the majority of the fish products fished on our coast are currently exported to countries like France, Portugal and Spain. Now, I just, just, I just want to clarify this in my head. Does your, do the 78 boats that you're talking about land their catches in their home ports or do they take them directly to the continent? That's the first thing. And also, if, if they land them in their home ports, you say they're largely exported to France, Portugal and Spain. Are they then exported across the border and through to the continent? I mean, what's, what's the process there? Because I, I think that the, the, the promise of all the promises that have been made, frankly, the one involving fishing and the exclusive right of British fishermen to fish their own waters to the exclusion of everybody else is the most un, unrealistic promise I've heard in the whole, in the whole sequence of promises. Well, what's, what's, could you explain the supply chain to me or the export chain as to where the fish goes and caught by who? I will certainly give it a go. It's extremely complicated. Mm -hmm. I actually had a whole section that I was going to give you and I cut it out. Um, so they land, sometimes they land in Port of Obi, sometimes they're landing in other smaller harbours. 
Although Portobogie is a um, European approved fish auction house, most of the um, landings tend to go down to Kilkeel. It tends to be now the main um, auction. Um, and then they get dispatched out, as you've already alluded to. Um, most go out to Europe, um, so they go out very, very various markets, some via the um, Republic of Ireland, some via back via GB. Mm. And this, I think, is our biggest challenge. And, and we, our environmental health officers, are working very closely with colleagues in the fishery um, and in central government. But we are struggling to get the knowledge and the information to know how that supply chain. And will continue and quite often then those products may come back actually into Northern Ireland and um, so the product may get out go out have something done to it and then it may come back in and um, so it's a very complicated supply chain and um, obviously it's um, fresh produce so timelines um, are very key for this as well but we do need clarity um, and how we're going to move this fish produce easily um, throughout and what will our role in that be? We suspect we will have a role, particularly in relation to the evidence of the moving of those fish products because it can move quite a lot before it even then goes to where its final destination is. So it's extremely complicated and I don't think the answers have been provided yet. Yes, thanks for that. I mean, it, it, it does seem unlikely that if, 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 if our own fishermen have exclusive rights to our own waters, to put it bluntly, that Europe won't retaliate in some way and that they may not have access to those export markets quite as readily as they have at the moment. That would be my worry. Oh. Uh, I don't expect you to answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we should highlight if the fish are very lucky, they get to go to our glass, but uh, they're the very elite fish, uh, I would have to point out, to get to come to that uh, wonderful part of the world. Still the same so, uh, look, uh, th thank you very much indeed um, <coughs> to Trevor and Susie for coming along and giving us that presentation. We, we appreciate that. We will certainly incorporate those views into the report and future actions that we're carrying out as a result uh, of these um, discussions. And it just remains for me to thank you for coming along and making your time available today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, members, if we could take five minutes at this stage rather than ten, because we're running a few minutes late, and I can see that our next guests are here. So if we could just take five minutes, and then we'll get ourselves back into the next couple of councils from there. So five sure. minutes. Thank you. Okay, uh, folks, we'll make a start back again. Uh, we're still waiting on two members, but I'm sure they'll join us. Um, uh, but we do need to progress because of our timings this afternoon. So what we'll do is move on to our penultimate uh, council presentation and we can welcome representatives from Newry, Moore and Down District Council. We have Councillor Laura Devlin who is the chairperson of Newry, Moore and Down and Marie Ward who is the chief executive. And maybe just to advise both of you that the session is being recorded by Hansard and that uh, the transcript will be published on the committee webpage. Martina can't hear us now. Sorry. Calm spring routine and so she can hear. So we just ask the communication team if they could bring uh, George and Martina in. Apparently they can't hear us at this stage, so we'll hopefully, if there's something for yourselves to do on the technical side, that will bring people in. Um, and before we uh, progress in with this presentation, okay. just if I could declare an interest in this one, insofar as Councillor Devlin is a member of my staff team, so. And just with an extra warm welcome to you, Laura, then, on that basis. 
uh, and it's great to have the two of yourselves along. We'll, we'll let you do the presentation, and then at the end of the presentation, then we can ask some questions from members uh, just to seek some, some clarity. So pass over to yourself, Laura. Okay. Um, good afternoon, Chairman. Um, members, um, thank you for the opportunity to address you all, albeit in this virtual format, which we're all now getting very used to, um, on this very important issue of Brexit. Um, I'm hoping to begin and to present the situation from Nuri Morning Down, and then I'm here with our Chief Executive, Marie Ward, who will hopefully then pick up on any questions that you may have um, at the end. So if, Chair, I can just get, get started. Um, it does need to go without saying that a smooth transition is key to ensure that businesses in the Nuri Morning and Down District Council area, particularly situated in the economic corridor, continue to trade, grow and develop. Um, political negotiations are, are central to the concerns held by SMEs, particularly the uncertainties regarding securing a, a future trade agreement or a no-deal Brexit. Uncertainty um, exists on whether the Northern Ireland Protocol will be upheld or overturned. Indeed, whether a hybrid model could be agreed. Businesses are, are grappling to prepare as the situation could invariably change. Um, Europe remains Nuri Morning Down District Council's largest export market on our doorstep. Um, a higher percentage of businesses in the border region sell into the cross-border market, the EU and GB, than in the rest of Northern Ireland or the rest of Ireland. The Republic of Ireland is an important first step to export markets for many small businesses. Following um, success in the South, SMEs often branch out into other export markets. It's therefore important that there are no bureaucratic or financial barriers to the market in the South of Ireland. Um, EU trade by firms in the Border Council area represents 22% of total sales, and this compares to only 10% of sales by Northern Ireland businesses outside of the border area. So that gives an indication. So sales to the EU from the Border Council area are largely driven by the agri-food and advanced manufacturing sectors, which accounts for 77% of border council area sales to the EU. Um, the exposure to risk is much higher for agri-food sector, with much of the sector sending 90% plus of the exports to the cross-border or UK market, who will face higher tariffs. Tourism, retail and service sectors will also um, all experience significant changes as a result of Brexit. So now, in terms of infrastructure, um, Northern Ireland's second largest port is located at Warren Point. Um, as one of the three main points of entry for goods entering Northern Ireland from GB, Warren Point mainly accepts steel, timber, grain, along with accompanied and unaccompanied freight carrying high-risk foods. The Harbour Authority are, are working on the understanding of what they assume the Northern Ireland Protocol means. However, you know, during negotiations between UK government and the EU, there have been instances of how the draft protocol has been interpreted differently. Harbour management authorities are concerned around the potential for last-minute changes and the impact these could have operationally. So, Chair, now we move on to our people. The proximity of the border will accentuate the labour market issues and movement of people, which will present various implications. One such implication, the risk of residents um, emigrating, or secondly, the risk of businesses relocating to more favourable economies, offering greater potential and opportunities. Many sectors along the border corridor rely on EU and non-EU migrant labour, with agri-food, fisheries, tourism, manufacturing and service sector being most reliant on this new labour. Uh, and one such stat is that between 30 to 55% of the labour force in the seafood industry is migrant labour. 
So now, Chair, if we move on to funding, um, approximately 3.4 billion in peace and interreg monies up to 2020 have been invested in Northern Ireland and the southern border counties. However, more assistance is needed for the sectors with the highest exposure to risk of an end to EU funding, such as community, voluntary uh, and business. Um, the Peace Plus and the Shared Prosperity Fund programmes are being developed post-2022 when the current EU programmes end. However, Council would advocate that these funds are essential to support all sectors of the economy to develop beyond Brexit and there's an urgent need to ensure reduced bureaucracy and a more area-based planning approach adopted to how these funds are allocated to ensure local authorities can target programmes to meet local needs. Now I will go on to support. Given the, the likelihood of the increased administration, which will be required from the 1st of January 21, businesses should be preparing documentation. Policies and procedures, however, without clear guidance on the breakfast outcome, businesses are delaying in doing so. Many large businesses uh, in the region have Brexit plans in place to some degree. They accept that they will need tweaked uh, as clarity emerges from discussions. But for many SMEs, COVID and the ongoing disjointed nature of exit negotiations has created apathy among many and no preparation has taken place in many cases. Um, InvestNI, Intertrade Ireland, Chambers of Commerce and Trade and local authorities have been offering support, but it has been general, therefore presenting a, an urgent need for a, a more structured marketing campaign coupled with detailed support programmes to assist businesses to um, prepare. So, in conclusion, Chair, a continuation of cross-border trade with limited disruption is significant to the success and growth of our area's business base. The lack of clarity on guidelines and the mixed messaging coming from the negotiation has generated apathy among many SMEs, many of whom have not prepared nor are preparing. Furthermore, there is a danger that if a deal is done at the 11th hour, businesses will be left to organise their affairs in a matter of weeks or days when the transition period was intended to be over a 12-month period. Um, current support mechanisms must not end with the transition period, but must be ongoing uh, as businesses grasp the complexity of any new trading relationships. The above um, issues point to the need for mitigating actions as border communities and businesses navigate through these changes. Um, some other actions that should include would be um, accelerated investment in, in transport connectivity, such as the Southern Relief Road project, um, the rolling out of full fibre broadband across the corridor to ensure a much improved digital connectivity to prevent any further um, falling behind, um, continuation of funding to support businesses to adapt and develop post-Brexit, for example, the, the Peace Plus, the Shared Prosperity Fund, City Deal, etc. Um, and I suppose continued promotion of the planning for Brexit supports, especially to smaller businesses who have a lack of resource for this and also for the longer term trade, diversification and skills enhancement needed in a post-Brexit economy, um, in particular through expansion of further education, um, the Institute for Technology down south and university provision throughout the corridor. Uh, and one final action um, supports to, greater, to create greater scale and more cooperation and clustering in some of the most risk exposed sectors such as agri-food, traditional manufacturing and um, tourism. So that's my sort of overview, um, Chair, and thank you and your members for your time. And I can now hand over to Marie if needs be as Chief Executive to take any questions that you may have. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much, Laura. I appreciate that, um, that update. And maybe if I can start with just a question on... On the issue of, I mean, you had mentioned there, like for example, the agri-food industry and the impact that there would be upon that sector. 
and really looking at the nuts and bolts of how you've been engaged with by the executive and by departments. I mean, do you feel that you were listened to, that you've been involved in the process for their thinking as they go into negotiations uh, and go in to inform the British government on their negotiations? Do you feel that you, as a council, have been listened to um, and have you been capturing the views of those businesses within your area to, to relay those views through to the executive? I suppose, Chair, if I can um, perhaps come in on that, um, the environmental health um, colleagues within the Council have been working very closely with um, DERA and even the Food Standards Agency just in relation to um, the potential implications for the agri-food sector. There has been work ongoing over the last number of years um, in relation to any actions that need to be taken. Um, I suppose the, the challenge remains just around the uncertainty of what um, the, the final um, exit looks like and, and what the um, full implications would be for that. But I, I think the engagement has been very positive between Council and between um, central government as well. What form has that engagement taken, Marie? What's, I mean, have you been participating in forums or is there a specialist um, sort of engagement with the councils? Yeah, so our environmental health, um, we've representatives that sit on um, various working groups um, between DERA and ourselves. Um, and we've, back pre-COVID, there would have been sessions held um, in our district in particular, um, where, where businesses that are involved in um, particularly the food sector were invited to joint presentations to set out some of the challenges. So it's, it's a very much a, an ongoing engagement that's continued throughout um, this period of COVID with this type of format of meeting. Um, and and it, ha it happens on a regular basis. And then moving just quickly to obviously tourism is a major industry within uh, Newry Morning Down with, with the Mourne Mountains and, and Newcastle and, and wider area. What, what, have you had any assessment done of what impact sort of Brexit and the process of Brexit might have had um, on, on tourism and then in the future going forward, what impact any new arrangements might have? Do you feel that the Brexit process will be something that will help? tourism or do you think that it's something that may impact it? Yeah, it, it is a concern. Tourism is a, a major um, contributor to the local economy in Newry Morning Down and indeed, um, again, pre-COVID have been growing exponentially in recent years um, as we move towards that um, a greater uh, international market and even um, visitors from um, ROI. Um, the concern has always been for us uh, the freedom of movement to ensure that um, we can actually have visitors um, crossing the border seamlessly. Um, it's always been a drive from your morning down perspective, I suppose, in very simple terms, to have uh, people turn left when they come out of Dublin Airport, um, and that the, the, any any. Um, decisions regarding Brexit and how we actually handle that transition across the border um, would need to remain seamless to ensure that we do not um, suffer any, I suppose, major uh, impacts on, on those that are coming to visit the area. Um, so that, that is a concern for us, just in, in the freedom of, the, of movement. Okay. I'm going to pass now to Martina Anderson. Martina, are you there on Starleaf? Thank you, Chair, uh, and thank you for, for the presentation. Uh, Laura, I've been trying to get a handle on each of the councils that have come forward around how much money each council is going to lose. And in many councils, you can see that the councils themselves have been able to draw down, for instance, you know, 22 million uh, and other figures that have been 
uh, given to us today. You talked about the 3.5 billion and you're obviously acutely aware of the money that has come from the EU, the funding has come from the EU to the north and we're net beneficiaries of all of that. Um, what um, What's the council overall figure that you will lo lose and do you know then, for instance, the other kind of funding that could be lost over and above what council has been able to draw down itself? Thanks, Martina. I'll just check with Marie here if we have that figure to hand. Yeah, um, Martina, apologies. I don't have the figure that we would exactly lose um, as a council. But what I would say is that we've been working very closely with our colleagues um, in relation to the peace and interreg monies and indeed the shared prosperity fund um, and the importance of it moving forward. Um, it's absolutely critical um, for Newry Morning Down that we continue to receive um, that funding. Um, we've, we've delivered a significant number of projects um, in the last decade, I would say, even pre the formation of Newry Morning Down, you know, when the councils were working um, separately. Um, and those projects have been absolutely critical to the local community and the development of um, the local community. So, for us, we're working very closely on the new um, peace funding and um, ensuring that that actually um, still is, is maximising the potential coming from it to the area. We hold a memorandum of understanding with Louth County Council as well. Um, so we have a very close um, cross-border relationship um, with um, our colleagues in Louth. And indeed, an example of where that funding has been um, quite prevalent and, and is um, important is the um, greenway between Newry and Carlingford um, so, and that's being delivered through peace funding so it's, it's critical that we retain that level of funding coming in the shared prosperity fund um, I, th I think I'd heard um, Arts and North Round um, representatives on just speaking about it um, previously and there is a Northern Ireland ask um, for £110 million per year for that so um, any funding that has been coming from Europe, we, we certainly wouldn't want to see that reduce. And indeed, we would suggest that we need to see that increase. Um, I think it's even important now, whilst we may look to the, the the future of what we can deliver from a project's perspective, we would even suggest that we would require funding to um, support our business community in the development of plans for, for Brexit. Um, now, one of our, our big concerns as a council is that the business community um, due to COVID, I suppose, um, have, have taken a degree of a step back um, in their preparations for um, Brexit. So we would like to see, um, I suppose, more funding targeted um, to allow the, the, the businesses to actually prepare for what, what potentially is coming. Um, thank, thank you for that. And I want to say in the grand scheme of things, whilst I'm a really great fan of, of peace funding and the peace one, two, three, and now four, um, in the grand scheme of, thing, uh, scheme of things, it's pocket money compared to what Laura had mentioned about the 3.5 billion that's going to be lost to the economy here. And what my concern is that in 50 days time, we are being dragged out of the EU against our democratic wishes. And there is no um, prospects as yet of hard money, hard cash coming forward. We've heard about this shared prosperity fund, this promise from the British government, and yet nothing is materialising. So I'm concerned about the implications that that's going to have, because obviously the Assembly is not going to be able to replace executives, not going to be able to replace the 0.5 billion. And whilst I heard you saying earlier that your larger businesses we're putting plans in place for Brexit. It is probably a need to be alerting other SMEs and particularly even those whose jobs depend on uh, on European funding. You know where we are sitting because we have been taken out of the EU. The withdrawal has happened. 
this isn't in a negotiation about the withdrawal. So uh, the money that we have been got, we received, the funding received is gone, unless, for instance, it's replaced by the Shared Prosperity Fund. So the one thing I would like to ask you about further is that you talked in your presentation in the information that you sent to us, and I quote, Southern, Southern businesses are no longer considering uh, North, Northern businesses as part of their review of their supply chain. So can you elaborate on that? Yeah, um, I'm happy to take that question. I suppose um, as, as chief executive um, and, and having previously been the director of enterprise regeneration and tourism in the council, um, we spend a lot of time engaging with our local businesses. Um, and I think it's really important. Um, you've highlighted our SMEs. SMEs um, in this area are, are part of our biggest business um, base. Um, so absolutely critical. And what you would find is that 80% of the SMEs um, who export here would actually export to the ROI market so that gives you the, the, the volume of um, what it is that um, is involved um, so we have like in the region of 8,700 um, VAT registered businesses in, in the district um, from the point of view of um, businesses and supply chains we have uh, over the last number of years as Brexit has been as those discussed talk to businesses around what the implications are for them from that cross-border um, perspective and what we're finding is that um, some of our local businesses due to some of the uncertainties around um, supply chains and how that's going to be managed are finding it more difficult to actually um, maybe get contracts um, from ROI um, where they previously wouldn't have had issues what that is causing then is the pressure on those local businesses to actually create um, accommodation or um, supply chain um, mechanisms for themselves in the south, and the risk that that then places on on our on, on Northern Ireland and indeed the Newry Morning Down region is that we will have businesses if they can't trade um, freely and and without um, any hindrance, they will um, potentially relocate to um, the south um, to ensure that their supply chains remain open. So whilst it's anecdotal. Evidence um, and and comes from from meetings that we hold. We do know that there are businesses that are telling us that they have had issues um, with um, contracts um, coming north south um, due to the the potential the potential implications of Brexit or the unknown implications. And I suppose on top of that, one last question, Chair, is around the new fat system. Given that you were saying there's eight thousand seven hundred. Yes. So I'm assuming that that's probably something too that they're quite worried about given that they don't know the details. None of us unfortunately know the details of what this new fat system uh, would will look like going yeah. forward. Yeah, and it, it does. I suppose it's it's those things that um, impact on them on a daily basis, just on how they do business. It's understanding the detail of those um, that they can, I suppose, get themselves ready. And I, I think it's really important to reflect that our businesses, um, like everywhere else, is, is suffering the impacts of COVID. So they're trying to manage on a daily basis with COVID. But then they're also, um, whether they have the time, particularly when you come to SMEs, to actually look at the detail of the implications. So things like knowing and understanding what are the implications of that what are the implications of what paperwork needs to be completed to do um, trade they're all critical we've had businesses highlight to us concerns around um, paperwork that may have to be completed to allow um, cross-border trade that may have implications on their ability to um, I suppose ensure that their supply chain moves fast enough and that they can still maximize the the profit margins within their businesses to keep it going so there's many implications and I suppose that there's, they're, they're complicated depending on the, the nature and type of business involved, but it affects 
everybody from the sandwich shop to um, the major manufacturer. Yeah, Chair, if there was ever proof that Brexit is an unmitigated disaster, we've heard it here this evening. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks very much, Martina. Thank you uh, to Laura and Marie for the uh, presentation and answering the questions. Um, it's just it's been really enlightening to get the information and we're going to try and pull that together and use it going forward in some useful way. Um, so we'll certainly ensure that the, the contributions that you have made are included in that. And just uh, thank you for coming along. Good to see both of you and good to see you, Marie. I haven't seen you in a while. So uh, nice it's good, to good, see you. good to see you and wish you all the best. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, folks, um, one more council to go. Um, this time it is uh, Causeway Coast and Glens. Um, and we'll take this opportunity to welcome uh, Mark Fielding, who is the Mayor of the Council, and Aidan McPeak, who is the Director of Environmental Services. And to welcome both of you along. And um, yeah, we've got both of you on the screen. So what we'll do is maybe pass over to yourselves and let you make a short introduction presentation, and then we'll open it out to, to questions. Um, apologies at your council number 11 of 11, which means that we may have heard a lot of what you've, you've got to say, but um, even pulling out the commonality amongst that is very, very useful for us. But we'll pass over to yourselves then to, to make that presentation. Okay, Mr. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank you today for the opportunity to present to you all today. And as you say, there may be number 11, but as we do, we regard ourselves as number one when it comes to Premier Tourist Region. Uh, we're an area which prides itself on being a great place to live, work and visit. It's a place where the quality of life is what attracts people to this area. Uh, very few areas can boast the richness and diversity of the landscape that this council has to offer. As I say, we are a council which uh, borders uh, the Republic of Ireland paid by the sea in terms of Loch Boyle. We, we border the, uh, so we border in our EU country. Um, our attracts thousands of visitors every year as is home to a number of very prestigious events, including international events. And to say we have a, a coastline that goes from the west in Loch Boyle to, to the east in Cushendall. What we did as a council, we put out to councillors and the departments on a council the, 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 the main issues that we feel that Brexit uh, would affect our council area. And I'm just going to um, talk about these issues, and then the, these issues raise a number of questions, which uh, Mr. McPeak uh, is, go is going to raise. The first one is the economy. There are fears that businesses and industry will not have sufficient time to prepare and implement new requirements before the end of this transition period. EU exit business readiness has been impacted significantly by the reprioritization of efforts during the COVID-19 emergency. Business owners have raised the following concerns. The potential impact on the supply chain for goods entering and leaving the area, increasing costs due to additional paperwork and compliance requirements. There is uncertainty over what will be required for small enterprises who sell direct, balancing the implications of selling across border and also to GB. Will they have to administer two different compliance systems? There is uncertainty as whether well the large UK chains will continue to trade in Northern Ireland 
and if the cost of trading increased due to additional paperwork and legislation. The request from our food manufacturing and approved premises on health, marks, labelling, labelling etc. Clarity is required from the Food Standards Agency on how to interpret the guidance. Providing sufficient capacity within GB to certify high-risk foods for export will be a massive challenge. Clarity is required as to what arrangements are being put in place to provide required certification, including officers and IT systems, for the official certification for high-risk foods not of animal origin. As regards tourism, Causey Crows and Glens depends significantly on its tourist trade. There are a number of issues and concerns raised by the local tourist industry. These issues may be com compounded further by COVID-19 restrictions, which have and may continue to have a significant bearing on tourist destinations for some time. And indeed, in the short term, uh, we feel we have probably benefited, in a, in a sense, by stayfication and the domestic market. But long term, it's the international market that, that concern us because there's there are a number of hospitality uh, part of the hospitality sector that depends on the international market. For example, the, the Giants Cause the World Heritage Site depends on international uh, market. And this has a knock on effect in some of our small businesses. We think of, for example, uh, tour operators, coach tour operators, they depend on international uh, visitors. And I mean COVID may prevent that, but if COVID is not there, Will it be Brexit? Uh, and will, you know, will be depending then on a world trade uh, agreement between, uh, like say, the US, which we get a lot of tourists, and the UK. So these issues raised have been in relation to uncertainty over the crossing, uh, Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland border for, for tourists. Uh, will people see uh, a demarcation, if you like, and, and the holiday destination? Will they? Will they? Uncertain about the, the and crossing over from the Republic of Ireland to the Northern Ireland, will they have concerns about travelling, uh, whether there will be too much regulation, etc. Issues with driving licence, higher car insurance, and ordinary car insurance for cross-border movement. The third thing is agriculture. Agri uh, Coast and Glensborough has a large agri-food industry, and there are concerns both from farmers and business owners. They have raised the following issues. Clarity is sought in relation to measures for the protection of our main Northern Ireland agri-food industry. Northern Ireland agri-food product labelling requires uh, requirements for trade agreements is unclear. Concerns have, have been raised that all imports will not have to meet UK welfare uh, environmental standards. And we obviously we want our standards our standards are high and we want them to maintain. This puts farming and food products in jeopardy and will allow an opening for cheap imports which do not meet our high welfare standards. How is this going to be overcome? Delays in ports and border crossings is likely to impact on traders dealing in just-in-time goods such as plants and flowers. As I said before, we have a port uh, which which borders uh, the, the Republic of Ireland. The Council owns a ferry terminal at McGilligan Point, which is a border crossing point. It also owns a number of working harbours where EU registered vessels dock and land their fish catch. 
a number of cruise liners also, uh, while they don't actually dock in their harbours, they, they do uh, let off passengers to, to our council harbours. And the fourth thing is waste. Council has responsibility for collection and disposal of waste within the borough. Some of the waste is exported to EU, including the Republic of Ireland, for treatment processes, for recycling, as well as energy from waste products. Transboundary movements of waste will continue, as the UK will continue to be a Basel Convention party and an OECD member. However, there is a concern around customs and border disruption. It is predicted that transit through customs will take longer and is expected that a significant percentage of goods will be checked, leading to delays and increases in haulage rates likely. This may be added onto con council contracts, incurring additional costs. There are also possible knock-on effects of any delays down the supply chain, such as storage issues, RDF storage time before degradation can occur. So, tourism, the economy, tourism, uh, agriculture, transport, and, wa and waste, and these do raise a, a number of questions, which uh, Mr. McPeak, as our environmental director, uh, will address now. Thank you, members, and uh, thank you for the opportunity uh, given to us today to uh, to present. And uh, many of the issues that uh, we experience going forward have already been raised by the councils that we listened to earlier this this afternoon. Uh, but the focus uh, for us has really been uh, feedback from businesses where they have stated that COVID-19 really has taken up all their focus uh, and as a result of that has impacted on their EU exit preparations and they have concerns, real concerns, that they won't be uh, ready in time for, for the, uh, the start of the 1st of January. Uh, and some of these concerns are in relation to the, the non-negotiated outcome uh, of free trade agreement with the EU and trade and goods uh, end up in a, a WTO term. Uh, and in that instance, you know, the likely impact of Northern Ireland businesses under that scenario may impact on market access and re reduce the competitiveness and, and export markets. Uh, we believe also that there are, and the concerns raised around mixed messages to businesses in Northern Ireland uh, around how things will, will happen from 1st of January onwards in relation to standard communication strategy and some guidance uh, not being overly uh, clear. Uh, like the other councils that have raised issues in relation to the funding streams uh, and what's going to be there to replace the current EU funding uh, through RDP, PEACE, uh, etc. And our council uh, could see a, a reduction of between 14 and 15 million over five years uh, based on, on that change. Uh, our Mayor has mentioned tourism as being our, our primary focus for economic uh, benefit and the, the issues raised around there are the, the movement of, of people in, from EU uh, across border uh, and uh, unlike other 
councils, it's those uh, visitors perhaps arriving by boat to your uh, quite a number of council-owned marinas. Uh, from an agriculture point of view, uh, there, there's those concerns around the, the just-in-time goods, the horticulture businesses in particular, uh, selling flowers have uh, been raised to us. And in relation to transportation, uh, mentioned about the fishing trawlers earlier from the Nure and Warren element, so that is also an issue for council-owned harbours. Uh, the issue in relation to waste then, uh, that's, that's a primary, primary function that I'm involved in uh, through council, and there are concerns raised around the delay times at ports, which may impact on those waste goods going for further uh, treatment at uh, EU energy from waste uh, facilities. And then the issues are there's sufficient storage space at ports and borders and crossing points, which may cause delays. And uh, we also have uh, procurement tenders uh, due to go out that may be uh, uh, EU bidders and just impacts on those going forward. So. Uh, thank you, members. Those are a few of the concerns raised. I'm happy to take any questions. Okay, thank you very much indeed for that presentation. It was very detailed and we appreciate that. And it's probably um, in the presentation may well have answered most of the questions that we might have. Um, maybe if I could just check with you in terms of you made reference to the large agricultural sector that you have within the council area. And I was just wondering, do you, you know, have you had many opportunities to bring the agricultural sector together um, to hear what their views are and then pass those views on to, to central government departments and the executive? And do you feel, is there a sense that, that the views and concerns of various sectors are actually being listened to? Um, maybe not getting the outcome that they're looking for, but do they at least feel that there's a connection and a, a conduit for them to be able to raise their views? I'm not sure that the uh, the environment is there for agricultural uh, farmers to do that uh, on, a, on a focused uh, way. And generally, the feedback that we're getting are, are through our councillors and, and members. Uh, and if they are brought to our attention, they go through our economic development uh, section and on through to central government via that route. Um, I, I do think uh, that they don't seem to have either engaged or been given the opportunity to engage as much as they, they would have liked. Uh, Mayor may have, uh, have other aspects to, to add to that. Well, well as, as you know, the department uh, we have a department based in Ballykillina as headquarters of it. And our agriculture is, is a big feature in, in our borough with some of the, the best uh, dairy, in terms of dairy cow area. Uh, we have some rich agricultural land and, and uh, farming is a big thing uh, in the causeway area. So it's something that we'll probably need to address more uh, and engage, uh, you know, as a result of what's been discussed today. Just on that point, Chair, can I can I ask just when you're talking there about your agriculture and industry? Because I I'm from Mid Ulster, so I know where we would border with with some of your council area. I'm thinking up into Dungiven, Claudie, that sort of sort of hill ground. 
And I know that sheep farmers in my own area are very worried about the, the prospect of single farm payment and how that's going to go as, as we progress after leaving the EU. Has, have you had feedback from, from, from farmers from, from that side of the industry and, and what, what are their concerns? Well, we've actually some councils here, farmers who contributed to some of this uh, uh, discussion, you know, so uh, that's all really I can say, you know. I, I think the concerns are, are similar to the ones that you would have in, in Mid-Ulster, uh, the single farm payment certainly high on their agenda, uh, as well as the uh, they are concerned about the, the, the product and the standards and the possibility that you know cheaper products coming in is going to impact on, on their uh, output agri-food product and, uh, and I think they are genuine concerns and uh, that's kind of the feedback that we're, we're getting to date. Even, even leaving aside farmers, the general public, I know uh, are concerned you know that, that the standards would drop, and that, that's what they're concerned that the, our standards would we want us to maintain the standard, the high standards that we have at the moment. Okay, thank you very much. Um, thank, thank you um, for for that question, and um, we will probably leave it there. I think we we have, um, we, you know, unfortunately, with you being the last council, I think we've kind of we've recognised all the things and, and teased out a lot of what you contained within your uh, presentation. Maybe. We're, Martina, I think she is. Martina, maybe looking to come in there. Sorry, before we finish up, Martina. Thank. Uh, oh, maybe an uh, unmuting required there, uh, Martina. Okay, there you are. Thank you, thank you, Chair, and I'll try and be quick. Um, I'm just interested to pick up on the point that was made about the collection and the disposal of waste. Given that the environment is one of the areas that is in that battlefield in the negotiation as a level playing field, we hear a lot about, and what does that mean? I suppose for all, then one of the areas that hasn't been agreed is around environmental protection. So when you talk about delays at ports, but given that the port of protocol gives you access into the south of Ireland, have you looked at in the event of, for instance, no agreement on that for that, the environmental end of it and it resulting in massive delays at ports, have you looked at another supply chain and going through the south of Ireland as opposed to maybe the ports that you might be currently using? Yes, uh, that, that is an option and that's one of the contingency plans that have been put forward by our contractors that are uh, delivering to the EU uh, and uh, certainly the export from the south will be a, a, an option in that particular case, yes. And can I ask you, many countries, you know, outside of the EU, I'm conscious that not alone are 27 member states, but there are 168 countries where the British government is going to have to do deal by deal authorization if it wants a relationship with. So these third countries that the EU has already um, got a relationship with, a trade agreement with of one sort or another, is it beyond even the EU that, um, that the disposal of waste, the collection of waste that would be within your scope? Uh, 
It is actually because uh, some of our recyclates are uh, being exported uh, further afield outside of the EU. So you, yes, it's uh, the, the residual waste, generally black bin type waste, uh, generally goes to EU uh, energy from waste plants. But the recyclates that might be in your blue bin or your box system, uh, they can be exported anywhere throughout the world uh, through our, the contracts that we have in place. Yeah, well, I can understand the need then you do look for another pathway because if you are going to be restricted at the delays and ports and the consequence of that, the one thing that you do know at least there's not going to be a harder border in the island of Ireland and you have a, a pathway uh, into, you know, across this island by the protocol so that hopefully might in the long run provide some uh, help and assistance. I could ask you loads of questions, but the chair won't let me. And Sheriff, also east-west by virtue of the provisions of the Internal Market Bill. Yes, and on that point, we're going to thank uh, both Mark and Aidan for their presentation this afternoon um, and for the information. Uh, we appreciate you giving up your time and coming to present us. So, gentlemen, thank you very much indeed. And um, we'll, we'll forward you any report that we, we do on the basis of this. Thank you. Right. Um, okay, members. Um, there we go. We have had uh, all 11 councils have given their presentations. And I suppose um, could certainly be struck by the fact that there is both uh, a wealth of similarities in terms of the issues that they are facing and also uh, unique um, impacts within each of the council areas that, that take account for the individual priorities that they have. What I'm going to suggest, members, is that um, we will get presented soon uh, a report which will outline the main issues that have been raised by the councils and it's hoped that that will be drafted for consideration at the 25th of November committee meeting. And I was going to seek agreement from members that we maybe then, on the basis of that, would draft a motion uh, which could be presented uh, to the Business Committee for discussion in uh, the Assembly. I think it would be worthwhile to allow 11 councils and that local uh, democracy and that views and those thoughts that have come through to us, that if it's then presented and allowed to be discussed in debate, um, and if, if nothing else, to allow um, the councils to see that their contributions to this committee has actually made it to the floor of the Assembly for debate and discussion. So it's hoped that um, if there is agreement that a draft motion could be presented um, at the 25th of November as well then for uh, presentation to the Business Committee the following week and hopefully tabling the week after that. Would there be agreement from members for that? Agree. Yep. Okay, members, then we'll move on to item nine. Item nine is the Brexit UK's future relationship with the European Union and consideration of a request for written evidence from Minister Gove. Members, we did agree at our meeting on the 8th of July to write to Minister Gove to ask him to attend a meeting of the committee to provide us with an update in the negotiations on the future relationship um, and especially engagement with the devolved administrations and plans for the implementation of the protocol. Um, a response is at page 173 of the meeting pack, in which Minister Gove has said that he is not in a position to give evidence on the work of the executive, which is not quite what we asked for, but we'll not play technicalities with him. But he has offered to provide the committee with written evidence. So I am going to suggest to members of page 170 is a draft reply to Minister Gove requesting 
the written evidence on a range of themes. Are members content with the areas to which the written evidence has been requested or is there any other additional items that members might wish to see uh, some written evidence on? No, it's fine. Okay, so with your agreement we will send that letter off to Minister Gove and seek that information. Uh, and we will copy the request to the Assembly's EU Affairs Manager, uh, which he might send to other uh, legislators who are also um, facing similar issues, and maybe it could allow for a certain amount of comparison and discussion. So would members be happy that the Committee's request for written evidence is also copied to, also to other Assembly statutory committees for information, given that they're also facing matters relating to the response that will come back? Okay. Members, item 10 is a High Street Task Force, the departmental written briefing. Members, it was agreed in our meeting on the 1st of October to request a written briefing on the High Street Task Force covering issues such as membership and remit. The department has now provided the written briefing and a copy can be found at page 3 of the table papers. A copy of the briefing has been sent to the Committee for Communities and the Committee for Economy who also have an interest. Given that we have ha will have an impact by... Uh, COVID on our high street, given that there will be an impact from Brexit potentially on the high street and given that there has been an ongoing impact on the high street from a move to online shopping and a move away from uh, the high street, I think that this is an incredibly important uh, group that will be working and trying to find and source some solutions. I was going to suggest that early in the new year we seek an oral briefing from the departmental officials on um, this initiative to try and get some steerage as to what they're doing and maybe for us to provide some scrutiny. Would members be in agreement? Brexit, Chair, and um, COVID uh, are clearly having an impact on the high street. <laughs> Deliberate governmental policy is having an impact. So I think, yes, I think it's really important that we do have the conversation. Yes, indeed. It's important that we do have people alive to be able to make it to those shops as well. So I understand what the people members are saying. To support their families. So, Chair, membership. Chair, yes, go ahead, Virginia. Chair, um, in reading the um, the information in front of us, um, there's a section that says that the membership has not yet been finalised, and I know it's going to the other two committees for consultation. But at this point, I want to raise my concerns that there is no one. Um, on the membership list, even if it's only indicative, um, even from Derry, the Northwest. And I don't think we could have a high street task force, for instance, for people in, in Derry without uh, contacting the CCI, the City Centre Initiative, and Jim Roddy. So if there's an opportunity for us to filter through uh, recommendations of people who should be contacted, who would be crucially important in such a task force, can we either understand what that mechanism is and whether it is feeding into yourself or others so that we can come forward with some suggested names of people who would understand, like the High Street, for instance, in Derry. No one understands it better than the City Centre Initiative and Jim Roddy and his team. Okay, I mean, I think that's fine. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it might be a long process for that, those requests to come to here and then go to the executive office, or whether if members wrote directly to the executive office and to their party colleagues, maybe they advise that. But certainly, if we did both, at least then we'll know it's definitely happening. But um, there was a second page, incidentally, sorry to my introduction to that, but I think we've covered much of what it was in terms of. 
the, the population of that group uh, and who they are and, and, and how uh, they will work. But I think if we get that oral briefing in the new year, it will certainly help us to get the, the, the direction that they're moving in. So there's high streets left. So members, happy enough then that we will get that oral briefing in the new year? Yep. Thank you. Okay, um, members, item 11 is the forward work programme. Um, it's on page 179 of the meeting pack. Just to advise members that oral evidence sessions with the Joint Committee on the Implementation of the Good Friday Agreement and the Joint Oireachtas Committee on European Affairs has been scheduled for the 25th of November. To facilitate this, the evidence session with TEO officials on EU funding programmes has been moved to the 9th of December. Also, the uh, House of Lords Common Framework Scrutiny Committee have started taking evidence as part of its inquiry in the Common Frameworks programme. The committee is very keen to receive evidence from here, so if members are happy, we will schedule an evidence session with the Lords Committee so that it can hear our views. Um, are members content with the Forward Work Programme? Mm -hmm. And just both of those sessions will probably require some form of pre-meeting of the committee just so that we're prepared in going forward um, to meet with uh, both the, the Dublin and London based committees. I don't think it's something that we can just arrive in with nine different directions. I think it's important that we would have a, a conversation in advance of those, so we'll certainly schedule those as part of the committee meetings uh, before that as well. Item 12 is correspondence. There are 15 items of correspondence, page 186 to 383 in the meeting pack. I'll just draw your um, attention to one or two items. On page item 12.1 on page 186 is a response from the Minister of Finance on the historical institutional abuse payments, compensation payments. It was agreed at our meeting on the 7th of October to write to the Minister of Finance to ask for details of any discussion that he has had uh, with um, the Treasury to ensure that payments that are made through the address, redress board to those that are residing in Britain will not be liable to taxation or national insurance deductions and will also not affect social security payments. Uh, the Minister has advised that his officials have consented to the direct engagement between TEO and Treasury on such matters, so uh, with agreement we will write to TEO asking them for an update on that progress. Are members content? Chair, can I say that we've all probably been lobbied um, by by victims who are trying to represent other victims in, in England raising this uh, and have deep concern about it. So I just want to put on record that I appreciate this being taken forward. Okay, thank you. Item 12.15 on page 380 of the pack is correspondence from the campaign by survivors of abuse and it's in response to the discussions on the report by the Interim Advocate for Victim and Survivors of Historical Institutional Abuse, which we considered on the 21st of October. I'm going to suggest that the correspondence is forwarded to the Executive Office to respond to the issues that are raised. Members content? Yes. Okay, members are content to note the remaining correspondence? Yes. Okay. Um, Item 13 is Chairman's Business. Just to update members that there was an informal meeting held with the First and Deputy First Minister yesterday. There was a range of issues discussed, including the response to COVID, issues pertaining to Brexit, engagement with the Councils based on last week and in advance of today, uh, discussion about the appointment of a Victims Commissioner and also a discussion around the appointment of the Head of Civil Service. Unfortunately, the uh, internet 
uh, and Wi-Fi signals, which are not great in this building, caused a number of interruptions to that meeting and it became quite frustrating. Um, but those were the general issues that were discussed. Item 14 is any other business. Our members, do members have any other business? Okay, uh, just for the formal end of the public meeting, the date, time and place of the next meeting will be at 2 o'clock in this room next week, Wednesday the 18th of November. Members, we are now going to move into closed session for the remainder of the meeting. Um, could I ask the communications team to ensure that all witnesses that have joined the meeting by Starleaf have now left? And can I ask the communications to add all members into the spotlight and that we will be in closed session for around 30 minutes. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 